Thank you, Sherm, and thank you everyone for your kind welcome. It's good to be back uh, here at Central, and I was just going through my uh, journal, and this is my fourth visit here. All too often, I'm coming in January. I don't know what that, what, what's all about that. And uh, one of our last visits, Leah, my wife, was able to be with me, and we were driving home from here. Uh, we had taken a picture outside your beautiful church house with the snow blowing and whatnot, and got on the turnpike, and my windshield washer fluid spigots froze up. And uh, about every 20 minutes, I was pulling off. Whenever there was a toll booth, kind of a turnoff, I'd pull off and grab some snow out of a snow mound and wipe my window down. And so I'm just grateful it's a little bit more mild, this visit. So very, very grateful indeed. Thanks for your hospitality. We're going to get into the Word of God, and we're going to find some good news today, incredible news. Uh, and it's it's going to focus upon the fact that Jesus is coming back. And we're going to unpack that thought. Uh, we, we're going to really try to go to a place with that truth, that good news, where we've not been before. Now, let's approach it this way. There are games children play. Not necessarily today, not necessarily today, because oftentimes they're on phones or devices. Let's think back to a time when you and I might have been a child, and we played games like Tug of what? War. Remember that? Tug of war with a rope? A absolutely. How about a game like uh, kick the can or capture the flag? How about this one? Marco Polo. All right. And maybe a famous one uh, that many know, hide and seek. Now, remember that one, hide and seek? Somebody would be the seeker. And we would bury our eyes, close our eyes, and we'd count to 20 or 25 or whatever. And then we would open our eyes and we would shout, what, ready or not, here I come. Someday, God the Father will say to Jesus, his son, today's the day, now is the moment. And Jesus will shout, ready or not, what, here I come. Jesus is coming back. And that's good news. And what we're going to do, we're going to get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 today. If you would, whether you're opening on a tablet, on a phone, maybe even a conventional book, if you have neither of those, would you please take the Pew Bible and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in the New Testament. We're going to see some things here, I believe, that we've not known before. Or we're going to clear up some confusion uh, that we've had a time or two. Now, a little bit of context before we get into its content. This is very important. Paul is the writer, the Apostle Paul of 1 Thessalonians. He went there, we re read in the book of Acts, and he visited over a three-week period. And while he was there, he started a church. Let's just call it First Christian Church or Central Christian Church Thessalonica, okay? He started it, and it flourished so much so that they became a model church. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, you have become a model to all of the believers throughout Macedonia and Achaia. Paul did not write that to anybody else. He didn't say that to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Colossae. He didn't say it to anyone else, only to Thessalonica. What a compliment. And we at E2, you know, we live in Indianapolis, have been a preacher for 40 years, the last 30 at the Creek, Indian Creek Christian Church. 
And uh, we're praying and believing that Central is and will even still more become a model to churches throughout this region of the country. We have that privilege, do we not, for being the bride of Christ to set an example. So that's a part of where we're going today in Thessalonica. Now, every chapter of 1 Thessalonians ends with Jesus coming back. Everyone, if something is repeated, it is important. Whenever something is repeated in the Word of God, God wants it to capture our attention. The fact that Paul, not once, but five times spoke of the return of Jesus, that's huge in this book, absolutely off the chart. Now, the strongest mention of that is in our passage. Our passage has the strongest mention of the return of Jesus. That's where we're going. And I believe with all of my heart, it is time to clear up the confusion about the second coming of Jesus. Paul was writing to clear up that confusion with them in the first century. I believe that it's going to help us clear up the confusion in this, the 21st century. For example, just stop and think with me. Do you and I know exactly what happens the moment we draw our last breath? This, this passage is going to speak into that. Do we know what is exactly going to happen at the very return of Jesus, the moment he splits the clouds? This passage is going to clear that up. So we're going to get into the Word of God. We're going to start in verse 13, chapter 4. We're going to read down through verse 18. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Incredible. Dr. Thomas Edison, one of our nation's most brilliant uh, inventors, he had a winter home in Florida. Maybe you've been there. It's uh, in Fort Myers. We've taken the kids and the grandkids there a time or two, toured the place. Now, what's interesting about it, uh, it has this dock that goes out into the water, and uh, we are told by the guides there, Many times, when the good doctor was there in the winter, he'd go out to the end of the dock and he would fish. And a standing rule on the Edison estate was, when the good doctor was fishing, nobody could step foot on that dock. Not even Mrs. Edison. He wanted to be left alone to fish. Well, the good doctor, he would catch fish, but there were many a day when he did not catch a single fish. And it was discovered, after the good doctor died, why he did not catch fish. He had written in one of his journals that he many times chose not to bait the hook. He just threw a hook out into the water without any bait because he didn't want the fish to bother him. 
He just wanted time to sit and think. Dr. Edison, he said this, quote, 5% of people think, 10% think they think, and the other 85% would rather die than think. <laughs> now, what percent do you think we're going to be this morning? We're going to be 5%. We are going to think long and hard how 1 Thessalonians 4 speaks deeply, powerfully, more intentionally into our lives than ever before. Ready? This is where we're going. Paul said in verse 13, brothers and also sisters, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. Now remember, we have these words called euphemisms, a kind, gentle way of saying something less than harsh. We, we don't want to be harsh about something. So that word asleep is referring to the fact that somebody has already what? Died. They have died. Somebody died. So we don't want you to be ignorant about what has happened to your loved ones who have fallen asleep, who have died. And the same is true today. There's sometimes confusion as to just where are our loved ones who have passed on, who have passed away. Now, in the text, in verse 16, you see this phrase, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, that phrase alone often causes confusion with people. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Well, what does that mean? Oh, they're going to rise up from six feet under. I guess that's what that means. Uh, no, it doesn't. You know, that's what is called the doctrine of soul sleep. There are people who actually believe that when they die, their soul remains inanimate in the grave six feet under, and then at the return of Jesus, the dead in Christ will what? Rise first. That's where that comes from. And it's called the doctrine of soul sleep. Well, I can't buy into that because it doesn't square with the rest of Scripture. Uh, even Jesus, with one statement that he made while hanging on the cross, he disproves that. He turned to the thief, and in Luke 23, verse 43, what did he say? Today you will what? Be with me where? In paradise. See, the thief wasn't going to be asleep in the grave until Jesus came back. No, today you will be, you will be, not maybe, not perhaps, not my. No, you will be with me in paradise, the presence of God. I don't buy into this soul sleep stuff. All right, so, hmm, I wonder what, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What does that mean? Well, you know, there are a lot of people the world over who believe in what is called the doctrine of purgatory. Now, so what is that? Well, that developed many centuries ago through Roman Catholicism, and it was officially adopted in the 1400s. It's found nowhere in this book called the Word of God. It's nowhere to be found. And that word purgatory means to purge or to remove. To purge or remove. That when a Roman Catholic dies, that individual does not go to heaven. That individual goes to a place called purgatory where his or her sins are purged or removed by people who are still alive who love them. That people who love that individual do something in life called an indulgence. They do something to then remove the sin from 
the individual, that loved one in purgatory, purging that sin so that they can go to where? To heaven. Well, I don't buy into that. Because again, Jesus said something on the cross that completely refutes that. In John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus declared, it is what? It is finished. Bam, finished, done, paid in full. That is a business term in Greek. And it means, bam, paid in full. Now, before I went to seminary to become a preacher, I was a, uh, a lender in a large bank in Michigan. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was uh, given the responsibility to be an agricultural lender to work with farmers. And uh, a young farmer came in. He was building a milking barn, and he had a lot of milk cows. And, and he came in one day, and he, was, he had borrowed a, a six-month note and on that six-month note for production, he came in and he said, Gary, I'm sorry, but I can't uh, repay that six-month production note. And I said, well, all right. So I went to the vault, got the note out, and uh, I said, I got to put something in here about why you can't pay this off, why you're paying interest only. And he said, well, my herd has gone dry. I'm a city boy. I was not raised on a farm, okay? All right, so I'm putting in his herd has gone dry, cannot pay the six-month production note. And then I said, okay, so now when will your cows get wet again? Can you tell me when the cows will get wet? And that's exactly what he did. He just started laughing. He got up. He walked into the president's office next door. He told Ken, and Ken started laughing. I went to lunch at the local little sandwich shop that day, walked in, and everybody was pointing their fingers at me. That's the city slicker who doesn't know that cows freshen up. They don't get wet. All right. So um, I, I stamped that note, bam, paid by, anybody know the word? Renewal. The debt was still owed, but it was just rolled forward for another six months. That young man came back after some harvest and whatnot, and he paid that note off. I got that note out of the vault, and I stamped it, paid what? Paid in full. Paid in full. In the Old Testament, they would sacrifice oxen and goat and sheep, lambs, uh, doves, etc. They would sacrifice those animals, and the blood of those animals, all that did was roll the sin debt forward until John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and bam, Jesus on the cross, it is finished, bam, paid in full. Our sins taken away. It is what Jesus did on the cross that removes our sin, not what we do. So this doctrine of purgatory does not fit the Word of God. All right then, so what about that phrase then? And the dead in Christ will rise first. It's not the doctrine of soul sleep. It's not the doctrine of purgatory. Ah, here it is, 2 Corinthians 5.8. To be absent from the body is to what? Be present with the Lord. That's the key. That when a believer passes from this life because of what Jesus did on that cross and we have anchored our trust in him, the day we draw our last breath here becomes our first breath there and we are present with the Lord. Well, just where is this home with the Lord? Let's try to figure that out. You know, um, uh, what we want to do is understand that Paul the Apostle, he said in 2 Corinthians uh, uh, about this home with the Lord. There's a statement. So we don't want to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. 
Uh, the dead in Christ will rise first. We can figure this out. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Let's move that slide, shall we? And the dead in Christ will rise first. We can figure that out. Because what we want to understand from the text is this confusion to be ignorant. We, we don't have to be uninformed. The word ignorant, 1 Thessalonians 4, let's move that slide. The word ignorant does simply mean uninformed. We're confused about something. And we can figure out where this home in the Lord is. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. He's going to bring with Jesus. So they are home with the Lord. What we want to do is go over to Revelation chapter 19. Let's put a marker here. We'll be back. Let's go to Revelation 19. And here we can figure out what that phrase will bring with Jesus means. In Revelation 19, notice in verse 7, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. All right, now what does that mean? Well, chapter 19 of Revelation is the second coming of Jesus. And there's going to be this, if you will, a wedding supper of the Lamb. Think with me for a moment. I'm, I'm sure that many a wedding have been done uh, in this room. And then after the wedding is done, there is a reception over in fellowship, ABC, whatever, okay? Or at a restaurant, whatever. Now, I've, I've done a few weddings being a preacher for 40 years. And after the wedding, this is a beautiful wedding, and we're all over waiting for the reception to start, but we've got nine hours of pictures to take, all right? Not, at least nine hours of pictures. And so we're over in the reception waiting, and we got this incredible potato salad out there on the table, and we got fried chicken and green beans, and Leah has slapped my hand a time or two. I've gone up to sneak one of those chicken legs before the who shows up. Somebody's got to show up, the bride and the groom, because once the bride and the groom show up, then the party starts. That's what's happening him here. The bride is who? The, capital C, the church, and the groom, Jesus, are together again. This is the second coming, so it's the wedding supper of the Lamb. And notice, fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. It's very important that we see this. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints, or the holy people of God. Now, what you and I want to understand here is focus on that. The church was given fine linen, bright and clean. Now, let's go a little bit further in this 19th chapter. Look in verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. White always means holy, pure in Revelation whose rider is called Faithful and True. I wonder who that could be. Faithful, true. Who could this rider be? With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood. Hmm. And his name is the Word of God. I wonder who that is. In the beginning was the... Word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I think we can figure out who this is. 
This has to be who? Has to be Jesus. Now watch this. The armies, verse 14, of heaven were following him. Well, who are these armies of heaven? Riding on white horses, dressed in what? Fine linen, white and clean. Incredible. So when we read that phrase in 1 Thessalonians 4, and the dead in Christ will rise first, it's not rising from six feet under in a grave. It's rising up as an army because Paul also said in 1 Thessalonians 4 that God will bring with Jesus those who have died in Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in him. So now just think with me for a moment, your loved ones and mine, they are home with the Lord. If they've died in the Lord, they are home with the Lord. And on the day that God says, today's the day, you are going back, you're going back, then Jesus comes back to do the battle of Armageddon, the final war between good and evil to vanquish our enemy, the evil one, and an army is coming back with him dressed in fine linen, white and clean, the church, the bride of Christ. And that, my friends, is the rising up. We rise up. So our loved ones, now remember, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, I once knew a man caught up to the third heaven. Oh, there are three heavens? No, there aren't three heavens. So easy to figure that one out. In Psalms, it says that the rains, uh, or the, the heavens pour forth rain, Psalm 68. So the first heaven is where our rain falls. And then we read in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. So last evening, we happened to notice the bright, incredible moon. There was not a cloud in the sky last night, and the moon was brilliant. The heavens declare the glory of God. So the sun, the moon, the stars, it, that would be the second heaven. So beyond the celestial is the abode of God, the home of God. The third heaven is God's home. And we want to understand that, God's home. So our loved ones are home with the Lord. And when Jesus comes back, they're coming with him. So what you and I need to understand then is before Jesus comes back, they're in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. When Jesus returns, they rise up as an army. If, if we check out before Jesus checks in, we're going to be a part of an army. And we're going to help vanquish that evil one who has caused such difficulty in our lives. Now, there's one more thing to clear up from 1 Thessalonians 4. One more thing. This is not a rapture text. It may be that you have heard of that word rapture. This is not a rapture. Let's go back now to 1 Thessalonians 4. And why would people think of this as a rapture text? Because right there in verse 17... After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. There's that phrase, caught up, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There it is, Gary. It's a rapture text. No, that is not a rapture text. And so we will be with the Lord uh, forever. Um, therefore, encourage each other with these words. What we need to understand is people have taught, oh, a rapture is the partial return of Jesus. 
He's coming back partway, and he's going to secretively remove the what from planet Earth? Capital C, the church, the body of Christ, believers. Uh, it makes for great movies and great fictional reading. Oh, uh, there, There's a pilot, and the pilot on that passenger jet is raptured. He's the believer, and that leaves the co-pilot to fly the plane, an unbeliever. He's been left behind. We have to remember that this secretive, quiet, uh, unannounced rapture of the church doesn't fit this text. Why? Because it says right there that Jesus himself will descend from heaven. He'll come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel. Archon in Greek means ruling. So the ruling angel has this loud voice. Jesus is not a, a ruling angel. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He's got the voice of a ruling angel. He's a, a loud command, the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. They're going to rise up as an army. This is not a rapture text. It's a second coming text. Well, Gary, you know, what about there in Matthew chapter 24, that, that verse that says there were two men in the field, uh, one was taken, the other was left. There were two women at a hand mill, one was taken, the other was left. That's a rapture. No, it's not. We need to read our Bibles carefully. Let's go over there, shall we, to Matthew chapter 24. Notice in, in my print Bible, it's all red. So who said this? This is Jesus speaking. And one man at a, in a field taken, the other left, is, is not a rapture. No, check this out. Notice it says, I'm going to back up to verse 36. No one knows about that day or hour, not the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. What's he talking about? His second coming, because he says so right here. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the what? Coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is describing his second what? Coming. So everything to follow is about his second coming not a, a rapture. When somebody just looks at the two guys in the field and the two women at the hand mill, they're taking that verse out of context. They're taking it, they haven't gone to the beginning of the paragraph. So notice he says, for in the days before the flood, it's going to be just like in the days of Noah, for in the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, giving uh, in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all what? Away. Who was taken away? All of the sinners. Who was left behind? What was his name? Noah and Mrs. Noah and his boys and his daughters-in-law. They were the ones left behind. The saved were left behind on planet earth. Who were swept away? The unbelievers were swept away in the days of Noah. So, and then notice, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. There it is a second time. If something's repeated, it is important. So Jesus is saying, understand, this is what it's going to be like at my second coming. And he says once again, two men will be in the field. One will be swept away, the sinner will be swept away, and one will be left in the field. The believer is left behind. 
Two women will be grinding at a handmill. One will be taken, swept away, the sinner, and one will be left behind. Do you know that when Jesus returns, God destroys this earth, and he creates a new earth, a home of righteousness, Peter calls it. And believers will be enjoying eternity on a new earth. It's mentioned over and over and over again in the Word of God. So don't think heaven is just going to be some lazy boy rocker recliner made out of cloud material, and we're going to just strum our little harps uh, forever. That's That's not accurate. We are at war with the kingdom of darkness, and Jesus is going to come back someday, and there will be an army, a battle with darkness to end all darkness forevermore. And there will be a rising up of righteousness. And that, my friends, is good news. Our hope today does not rest in any political party. Our hope does not come from Washington, D.C., Springfield, Illinois, Indianapolis, Indiana. Our hope does not come through higher education or corporate uh, America. Our hope is anchored in the Son of the living God. His name is Jesus, and he is coming again. That will go to the bank. Let me tell you. Are you excited about that? Okay, well then let's uh, give praise to Jesus, shall we? In the name of the Lord, I give you permission. Let's act more Pentecostal than Presbyterian, okay? All right, here we go. So, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Chapter 4, verse 18. Encourage, build up, strengthen each other with these words. Now, there's one last thing. We're The message is shaped like a funnel. We're about right here, okay? So stay with me. Don't check out. I'm not done yet. I'll let you know when I'm done, okay? Great commission, Matthew 28. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and what? Make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit, teaching them to obey how much? All that I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you, how often? Always, even to the end of the age. That's called the great what? Great commission. It's the great commission, Matthew 28, verses 1, uh, 18 through 20. And many times we're intimidated by that because it's a command for every Christian. Sherm, Brian, Brian, Gary, Mike, pastors are not given the great commission to go reach people for Jesus. Who's given the Great Commission? Every believer. So every one of us who wears the name Jesus and we claim to be a Christian, we are to be bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. You and I are to be in that baptistry or a river or a lake immersing people into Christ. All of us are. We don't hire it done by hiring a preacher. If that's how we think, uh, we got a problem, Houston. We, Jesus commands all of us. So the Great Commission, though, don't be intimidated by that because the Great Commission comes with a great companion. Jesus said, I will be with you always. He's the great companion. So he's with us in this. And we can indeed do this. I want you to consider the octopus, all right? I know this is true because I saw it on the Discovery Channel, all right? (laughs) 
Lee and I, just a few years ago, we were sitting watching TV. I think it was back in the COVID time when that's pretty much one of the prime activities of people. And on the Discovery Channel, they told the story of an octopus. And I thought, man, I can't believe it. And I just turned to Lee and I said, that'll preach. And she says, oh, no, tell me you'll never mention that in church. And I go, oh, yes, it'll preach. Okay. So, and I'm going to make it churchy. All right. This is good for church. Here we go. Ready? So a boy octopus meets a girl octopus and they start dating. They fall in love and they announce the engagement. He proposes marriage. They have a wedding, they get married, and they go on their honeymoon, and as husband and wife, Mr. and Mrs. Octopus, they do it. That's all I'm gonna say, all right? For the first time, for the first time. And then, as soon as that's done, Mr. Octopus, this new groom who did it for the first time, swims off, and he dies. That's what the Discovery Channel said. A male octopus literally dies. Now, the story goes on. Then this young widow, she's made a widow on her honeymoon. She now is expecting babies, baby octopi. That would be appropriate grammar, octopi, uh, in her womb. And these baby octopi then are given birth, and she's a young widow, doesn't have a husband to help. So now mom, she takes care of all of her many babies, and as soon as they are potty trained, then mom, are you ready for this, ladies? Mom dies, and her babies eat her. That's the life of an octopus. Now, aren't you and I glad we weren't born an octopus? And Leah goes, tell me, how will that preach? And I go, this is so simple. This is like connecting A with B. Listen up. Who made that octopus? God did. It's one of his creatures. And God put in that creature a desire to reproduce once before dying. And what if we had a passion to reproduce spiritually once before we went home to be with the Lord. The world would be a different place. You'd have services in here on Saturday and Sunday. You'd have 10 services on a weekend. You couldn't keep the the place closed because so many people would be coming to Christ. If every believer brought somebody to Christ, discipled them in the faith. Uh, I read a blog every day by a Dr. Jim Dennison. He is an author, pastor in Texas, brilliant man. And uh, last November, one of his essays was about this very issue. And he said, if every Christian the world over took seriously the Great Commission and just brought one person to Jesus, and that one person brought one person to Jesus, and that one person brought one person to Jesus, he said it would take, are you ready for this? 33 days to bring everybody on earth to Christ. But no, we're intent on hiring a preacher to get it done when all of us should be doing this. Uh, I don't know if you watch Penn and Teller, the magicians. Uh, And um, uh, Sean Penn was, um, or Penn Gillette was invited Uh, after a show to speak with a friend uh, who he had just met at that show, 
handed him a New Testament. And this person who had been in a show just gently, kindly told him about Jesus. Now, Penn Jillette uh, is an unbeliever. He's an outspoken atheist. And he was very impressed by this young man who came to, to meet with him and, and just to speak gently truth and love. And he said in an interview, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and then not to tell them that? And how many of us have sons and daughters, grandsons and granddaughters, nephews and nieces, aunts and uncles, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas who are not in Christ? And yet we say we love them, but we've not told them this good news of Jesus. And just as to be absent from the body is to be home with the Lord for a Christian, listen up. The flip side of that, I can never preach about heaven without mentioning this. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is talking about Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus was a beggar. The rich man was not a believer. Lazarus dies. He goes to paradise. And then Jesus said this about the rich man, in hell where he was in torment. So if a person dies without Jesus, they are away from the Lord in a place of torment per Jesus. Not everybody goes to heaven. The film industry has it wrong when it says even dogs go to heaven. Those whose sins have been removed by the blood, the, the atonement of Jesus, they go to heaven. So if there are people that you and I know that we say we love, if we're not sharing with them this hope of Jesus, how much do we have to hate them to allow them to be in eternity uh, torment, eternal torment? Jesus said in Revelation 22, one of the last statements of Jesus, it's next to last, he said, uh, behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. I keep this in my wallet. It's my Blockbuster Rewards card. <laughs> now, if I want to uh, redeem the points on my Blockbuster Reward card, I have to go to Bend, Oregon, where there is a little store of Blockbuster still open, I think. And uh, I was on the internet last night looking to see what their store hours were, but they're not posted anymore. So I wonder if the last store is closed. But this reminds me that Jesus is coming and his reward is with him. And I would want everybody to enjoy that reward of life everlasting. Jesus is coming back. Amen. Lord, we come before you and we just thank you that you loved us so that you suffered indescribably that we who anchor our hope, our trust in you, uh, we can find hope of everlasting life. And how grateful we are, Jesus, that uh, you give to us this word of truth, unchanging truth to direct us. And we pray that people here today who are perhaps not yet followers of Christ, that they would surrender to you, that they would be immersed in you, and that uh, we would all leave your house today 
differently than when we arrived, all for your glory and by your power alone. And together we say, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen.